0: The, uh, the home group life group study for the series that we're starting called Behold. And so it's a four week series, just uh, four weeks leading into Christmas. And um, if you're part of a life group, your life group leader will grab these for you and they'll be at their place during the week. Uh, if, if you want to grab one because you're doing the study on your own, that's great. Grab it and enjoy it. Now, let me pray. Father, thank you that we can um, open scripture. And in this year, this time of the year, we, we enter into a um, probably a very well-worn track as we head towards Christmas. But Lord, your story continues to delight us. And I just wanna pray, Father, that in this time over these next four weeks, we can, we can rediscover not only the story, but we get to see how it is that you work in and through people to make your will known. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, often we think our best days are over way before they are, okay? And I think one thing about scripture is that you get reminded again and again that it's not over until it's over, really, seriously. And uh, in today's story, we're going to be looking at an elderly couple, particularly an elderly man by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah, interestingly enough, has this huge portion of scripture dedicated to him. Uh, in fact, it's probably the third largest portion of scripture portion to anybody in Luke's, Luke's um, biography of Jesus, Luke's gospel. And so we see in this guy something that we need to learn. And so we're going to open up not just the scriptures, but we're gonna open up his life today and get to feel for what it is that God was doing in and through his life as him and his wife conceive and give birth to John the Baptist. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to jump straight into scripture, and then I'll explain some background details about his life and what it meant for him to be the man that he, that he was. So it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiha. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old." Okay, so some fascinating things going on here. This couple, old as they were, were from the tribe of Aaron, and that meant that they got to serve as priests to the rest of the nation you know, through Aaron and then uh, the, the tribe of Levi, the Levites, one of the 12 tribes, were set aside by God to operate as priests. So that whole tribes definition, its identity, was yoked back to the early Israel, Israeli history, where they were set aside to go into the temple and serve as priests. And the way that would work is that um, the, the whole tribe of the Levites were divided up into 26 groups. And we can see here that uh, Zechariah came from this division of Abijah. And um, that meant that they got to serve two weeks every year. 26 times two is 52. And even I can do that one. So they turn up for a week and they serve within the temple. So we get to see this this part of the culture and part of the religious activity of Israel happening right in front of us here in this story. But um, of course, There's more to this story than just this activity. What we get told is that this couple were an exemplary, exemplary example, that's an exemplary example of righteousness, and they were blameless. In other words, no one could find any fault in their lifestyle, any fault in their activity as people who followed God. So they must have been a bit of a standout couple, however... There was a problem. There was a shadow that came over this, this sense of them being an example. And that was that they were childless. And to be childless in this environment was deemed to be somehow you've got yourself off with God. You're out of favor with God. Because to be childless was deemed to be something like a, like a curse. Something's not right here. And here they were living this exemplary life, and yet they didn't have children. And so for them within their society, that would have just made people look at them and go, well, they look like they do the right thing. They look the part, but there must be something going on that God doesn't like. Okay? And so here they were living in this tension. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just jump now because we know the story, they actually have a child and we're gonna follow that through in a moment. But what I want to do just to prove what I mean by how they felt about being childless all these decades, decades and decades of being childless. I just want to go to when Elizabeth discovers that she's pregnant. It says, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So that was heavy, wasn't it? My disgrace, to feel like you're a disgrace, To God or to your family or to your husband, maybe? That's a real heavy, heavy burden for anybody to carry. But here she is pregnant. And now we're going to follow the story through to find out how this all unfolds. So that she goes from this person who's a disgrace to a person who is blessed by God. So it says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside." Okay, well, this looks really simple, but in fact, there was some complication in behind it here. You see, what's going on is that when these folks came in and worked as priests for the week, uh, they would take responsibility for keeping the incense burners going. So they had to be topped up with oil every day, twice a day, morning and night. Now, what happens here, and you see it written there, is that they would decide by lot, sort of like a a holy raffle, really, Um, as to who it is that's gonna go in and tend to the incense burner. The trick with this, though, is that when your name got drawn out of the hat, you got to do it once, once only in your whole life, okay? So it's fascinating. Here we've got Zechariah. Not only has he been praying, Oh, God, give me a child with his wife, I'm sure, every day. But he probably thought he was missing out everywhere because how many times must he have lined up? Like, no, I didn't win the raffle today. I don't get to go inside the temple. All right? Time after time, time after time. He would have had um, 14 times that lot would have been drawn every time he turned up, 28 times a year. And his name never got drawn. And you can just imagine him. Imagine when his name gets drawn. hey, He would have rung Elizabeth. Hey Liz, guess what? It's finally happened. I get to go in the temple. I get to do the job that I haven't been able to do. And I thought I was going to cark it before I got to do it. All right? So exciting times. Exciting times for Zechariah. He gets finally to go into uh, that holy place. Literally it's called the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but the holy place. And, you know, serve God by bringing in the sacrifice of incense. So that's all very exciting, but it gets even better because this is what happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, to say the least. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Okay, many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, all of a sudden, Zechariah's life's taking a magnificent change here. He wins the raffle, and an angel appears before him and tells him that his prayers have been heard. You know, my argument, the angel would have been, didn't you hear me the first time? You know, but here we've got God answering prayers. But not only is he going to have a son, he's going to be something very special. And here the angel starts to tell Zechariah the nature of what it is that his son is going to do and, and the things that he's going to do. And it must have blown his mind. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Man, that's just some, some list of things to do, right? Let's just have a quick summary of that. Okay, he's going to be a joy and a delight to you. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Any child is a joy and a delight. Okay great in the sight of the Lord. A Nazarite, now that's a summary of somebody who doesn't um, drink alcohol, and, and also added to that, a Nazirite, uh, when they make a Nazarite vow, they don't cut their hair as well. And so you can imagine John, when he was later in his 30s, preaching out uh, in the desert, he would have had this long hair. He would have really looked a sight, wouldn't he? Okay, with his camel skin coat and, and, uh, and the likes. And it says he'll bring people back to God, which is exactly what he did as he, he brought a, a message of repentance. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it said, even from birth. So even from birth, he would have been bringing God's wisdom, God's power, God's perspective into all the things that he did, right? which would have made an interesting child to raise, wouldn't it? You know, when your three, three-year-old's always right. Mm. Okay, uh, and he'll turn parents to their children. Some of your translations will say that turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Look, this is a fascinating little, um, little thing that's mentioned here. It's huge, really, because what's saying here is that in the midst of serving God, he's going to do something for the community and for families that will be um, significant for the way in which Israel as a nation operates, we know these days, don't we, that if parents and in particular fathers um, can be there with their children, it makes a huge difference to the well-being of that family. Yeah? And uh, of course, prepare people for the Lord. And this is what uh, John did as he went out and started baptizing people and uh, saying that he was preparing the way for Jesus. So so here's Zechariah in the temple Frightened, gets this big rundown on what it is that this angel is saying about his future son. And of course, you know, you'd imagine that Zechariah would be like, sweet, cool, that's awesome, that's amazing. Uh, but he didn't. He said, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Okay, there's doubt there and a logical question. But the answer I think is fascinating, astounding actually, because um, the angel didn't give him a uh, sort of blow-by-blow description of how this is all gonna happen. <laughs> he just states his own authority. And listen to this, uh, second verse down there, verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Now, Gabriel literally means God is my hero. Great name, eh? God is my hero. I am Gabriel. God is my hero. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Gabriel didn't start giving a blow by blow description of how this is all going to unfold. He basically says, listen, mate, I stand in the presence of God. I'm telling you what's happening. Let that be all I say. All right. So then, of course, the story rolls on. And in verse 20, which you'll see coming up at the bottom of the slide, it says, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. In other words, Zechariah, you're an old guy. We know you know everything. Okay, you've been around a fair while. But the best thing I can do for you is just get you to be quiet. Just be quiet. Now, I've got a bit of sympathy with Zechariah because I think praying and doubting go together. Is that fair to say? Praying and doubting go together. Okay. You see, I don't pray that the sun rises in the morning. Well, technically that the earth keeps revolving. I don't pray that because I have absolute confidence that's going to happen. So I don't have that on my prayer list. All right. What I do have on my prayer list are the things that give me doubt, the things that give me concern, the things that I feel burdened by. And uh, in, in doing that, um, I bring those things to God because he's God I'm not. That's a pretty simple transaction, really. And I lay these things before God and I say, God, can you show me your way? Can you help in this scenario? Uh, most people, and I'll just say mean here, we're pretty good at helping God, aren't we? Because when we pray, we'll tell God how it should happen. Okay? We want, um, you know, we want our businesses to do better. And we say, God, this is how it's gonna happen. You know, uh, by the end of the week, Lord, I'm going to have three more customers and this is gonna happen two more contracts out of that. But God laughs at that, but he does hear us. God has his ways, but we're often telling God what to do. And Zechariah is told in this scenario, I'm going to be doing a miracle with you and your family. And your responsibility is to just be silent and watch. Now, I think this is a really cool thing that, uh, that happens to Zechariah because the opposite of him being out and about telling everybody would have been quite crazy, wouldn't it? You think about it. If he'd come running out of that temple and he said, man, I just saw an angel and we're going to have a baby. And they would have gone, oh, yeah, Really? Um, and then he would have said, look, I've I had this amazing interaction with God. I think I'll get on my camel and I'll do a crusade and start charging people a dollar, you know, to come and listen to my story. No, this is a time for you just to sit and to watch what God is doing. Be still and know that I'm God. And to help you with that process, I'm going to take away your ability to talk. You see, most of us live in this world where it's all about Knowing and doing, knowing and doing, okay? And we spend our life doing this, knowing, doing, knowing, doing, doing, knowing, doing, knowing. Is that right? Okay. Um, I know for myself, the knowing and doing trap is a really big trap to get into. Okay. And so um, some of you might ask and wonder why it is that I've been on this walk in Spain three times now, 800 kilometre walk. Uh, The reason why I do it, and I think the reason why God, literally shut the mouth of Zechariah is because he wanted him to work on this, the being, the being. Because being, knowing and doing all work together. And unless you're being, i.e. you're you're, you're centered on God and you, you have place and space to hear his voice and you have your identity shaped in him, not by what you do, not by what you know, but by the fact that you're a child of God, loved by God before the foundation of the world, that is the only thing that will give you security through your life. Because the knowing and the doing will be replaced or stripped out at some point, and you'll only ever be left with the the being. You're only ever left with the being. And and it's quite simple for me when I do these walks, um, my whole life just reduces down to a very, very simple formula. I I walk, I eat, I wash, I sleep. I walk, I eat, I wash, I sleep. I walk, I eat, I wash, I sleep. And I'm just left with this real simple mantra going through my head Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, I I return to being a child of God. Don't have to carry any responsibilities, don't have to be, you know, doing anything more than just being. And I think for Zechariah, this is what God wanted him to do. It's like, Zechariah, I've heard your prayers. I've heard you and Elizabeth praying. I've heard you struggling before God about this desperation that you have about being childless. And now is the time for you to stop and to watch the hand of God answer all of your prayers. And the best thing you can do is just be quiet. And I want to make sure that happens. So let's let's follow the story through. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Now, I reckon it would have been quite amusing, actually, when Zechariah came out of the temple. He would have been bug-eyed, couldn't have said anything, and he's trying to tell people what had happened, you know, sort of like, you know, just saw an angel. How do you describe that when you can't talk? Okay. And then trying to get across to the people what the angel actually said is like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, how, do you, how do you explain that one? You know, Zechariah would have at least been 70 years old. Now, 70 in those days, pretty old. Okay, just warming up, isn't it? For those of you who are 70. But, um, you know, and here is Zechariah and he has this amazing revelation of God. And he is told that he can't, or he's not allowed to say anything about it. Okay. The only thing that he can do to contribute to the story is buy a bottle of wine on the way home. Okay, anyway, you didn't get that one, did you? You got it. You're just too embarrassed to to laugh. There's only one thing that uh, he has to contribute to this whole story. But, and here's, here's the deal. Prior to this event, the biblical narrative will tell us that there was 400 years, 400 years of silence from the time of the closing of the old Testament Canon, the book of Malachi, the time that has elapsed now is 400 years. That's a long time, isn't it? It's way longer than before Captain Cook or Tasman discovered Australia, and New Zealand, you know, it's just a long time. But when people heard, that an elderly woman and an elderly man are going to have a baby. Hold on, there's an echo. There's an echo from the past. Something we've heard, something we've read. This is a sign and a signal from God because in our book, in our story, we've got this couple called Abraham and Sarah who in the days when faith began some visitors, some angels came to them and said, you're going to have a baby. And they were like really old, really old. And their response was that they laughed. Literally, the scripture says that they laughed. And then the beauty of that is that they named their son Isaac, who means son of laughter. Isn't that a great name? The son of laughter. In other words, we cannot believe what God has done for us. It brings us such immense joy. So they start to hear this echo within this community that Zechariah and Elizabeth are part of. Uh, What about Hannah? Hannah was pleading before God for a child because she too was childless. And the priest came to her and said, woman, you look like you're drunk at this time of the morning. And she's not. She was just pleading with God. Okay, maybe speaking in tongues in that moment. And God answered her prayer and her and her husband Elkanah had a son called Samuel. And he was one of the most significant prophets and leaders of Israel's history. So here we are, 400 years after the scriptures have closed, seeing God do what God does, breaking into the lives of this family, breaking into the lives of this this nation. And you can guarantee that because this happened in Jerusalem, in the temple, which is the center of their religious and social lives, and political lives for that matter, that, that story would have gone out. And therefore, and I suspect therefore, that is why Elizabeth was in seclusion. Because she would have been literally mobbed with the question, are you pregnant? And maybe because she was frail, maybe she needed just to have that space and time to herself. But it's a remarkable story. But the story doesn't end here with the birth of John. And we're not here to talk about John's birth today or his ministry. We're looking at Zechariah. And I think this is, this is the thing, is that what was conceived in, uh, in, in uh, Elizabeth's womb was, a, was an amazing miracle when John the Baptist was conceived. But what was conceived in Zechariah's heart was equally miraculous. Because you're talking about an old guy now who may have seen it all, been there, done that. Yeah, yeah, I understand the ways of God. Well, God has broken into his elderly life and said, I'm going to do something new. You thought your days were done. You thought your best days were behind you. I'm going to break in. And there's something here that's going to be conceived in you, Zechariah, that is going to transform you. And I, you see it. And we're going to pick up on this because when Zechariah ultimately names his son, and that's when he gets his voice back in the temple, when he comes to dedicate the child, his, his voice returns. And he prophesies, he starts to speak about this child. And in this description of whom this child is, we find a change or transformation that's happened in Zechariah during this nine months that he's been silent. And here's one of them. I've got two here to to identify. First one says this, Zechariah speaks of John. He says, he is here to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, this looks pretty simple. In fact, this looks very much like the description that was given to us of whom Elizabeth and Zechariah were before the baby came into their lives. But there's something there different. And there's two words that says, without fear. Without fear. When you are without fear, you are with faith. When you are without fear, you have absolute confidence that God is going to take care of your future. And so for decades, decades and decades, this couple have prayed that they would have a child probably way beyond the natural years of expecting that to happen. And here we have Zechariah saying at the end of probably in close to the end of his life now, even though his son had just been born, he's saying, I can look forward to the future without fear. In other words, I've seen the goodness of God over my lifetime, and now I can confidently rest in the fact that God is good. And that in spite of difficulties, in spite of circumstances, in spite of struggles, God is good, and I can live my life without fear. Isn't that a great place to be? Yeah? To be fear-free, to say, well, in spite of it all, God has the final word, and I can live without fear. The second thing that, I want to point out to you about Zechariah's transformation. Uh, Maybe even a little bit more challenging than living a life without fear. Zechariah says of of his son, John, he says, John will shine on, he's going to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And he will, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Again, some lovely words, a nice picture of what the future can be. But here is Zechariah talking about his son. And that final sentence there, he says, the final line, it says, to guide our feet feet into the path of peace. So he's talking about someone who's probably 70 years younger than himself. Part of the transformation that every senior person has to go through is to actually learn to trust the emerging generation or a generation before that. Because God is always speaking into a younger generation. God is always powerful and present in people younger than yourself. And it's very easy to assume simply that because I'm older, I'm wiser. But God raises up prophets. He raises up um, priests. He raises up all sorts of people with his spirit upon them to actually do something fresh and new into their generation and for the world around them and our maturity as people as we get older is to be able to acknowledge that there are people who have a gift, God-given gift of leadership amongst us who might be 20, 30, 40, 50 years younger than us. And we've got to see God in that, not just look at them and say, they've got more hair than me. So therefore, you know, why should I listen to that? Um, On a Monday night, Michaela and I with our daughter open up our home and we have a young young adults turn up, um, it's not necessarily a, a great time to um, give examples of healthy living with the food that turns up. Um, but what it is, is a great example of young people doing life together. And uh, I, we have the pleasure of getting to know uh, a lot of these young folks, there's usually about 30 young folks turn up to our place on a Monday night. And uh, we expect the numbers to probably double over, over summer. Is that right, Dan? When all the uh, uni students return? So, um, but for me, the exciting thing is seeing what God is doing in the lives of these young folks. And I'm like, you know, I'm caught in between sort of being the old guy, sort of trying to organize things and trying to tell them what to do, versus stepping back and allowing God to do what God is already doing. And that is raising up pastors, prophets, priests, leaders, you know, people with all these different gifts and they're operating in amongst each other and blessing each other and strengthening each other, encouraging each other. And I'm like, man, so good to belong to the people of God. And just to see God's hand upon people who are half my age and less again. And this is what Zechariah, I think, I think this is his, one of his big legacies is that he could walk away, not only fear free, of what the future brings, but he could see in his son, probably someone 70 years younger than him, that this person was going to guide our feet into the path of peace. Do you like that? So this man's going to be raised up and we're going to look at what God has done in his young life and we're going to be happy and content to know that God is with him and therefore it's not about age, it's not about stage, it's about the maturity of, and the spirit of God working in that person. And I think this is a recipe for us always as a church, isn't it? Because you see, the thing is that if we take ourselves too seriously as we get older, we honestly believe our own PR. And we think we're clever and we think we're important. You know? The the deal is, in the Christian faith, is um, we take God really seriously. But we don't take ourselves too seriously. But it's so easy to get it round the other way, isn't it? Take ourselves seriously. And because I know everything there is to know about God, well, I don't take him seriously at all. And, uh, you know, have churches where last person who dies, turn the light out, please. Seriously. I spent seven years going around the country seeing this time and time again. But Zechariah is an example to us of how to get old. And it's not about conceiving children in your old age, but it's about conceiving what God is going to do in and through you, even in your old age. So often we live a life, I think, and I've spoken to many people like this, where we think our best years are behind us. A certain age, we go, oh, my best years are behind us. You know, all the quotes, oh, you know. There's more in the rear vision mirror now than there is in the, front, in the windscreen. You know, my time's gone. My life is past. Rubbish. How do you know that the best years are behind you? You haven't given God a chance for the next lot of, lot of miles. And here we find you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth having babies. Yeah, okay, that's pretty unique. I'm not advocating that we have a whole lot of baby dedications here in nine months' time. Okay, I'm not, not pushing you down that line. Um, but what is it that God can conceive within you of what His Spirit wants to do in your life? What is it is the seed of faith that He's raising up amongst you? What is it that, that crazy idea that you've been sitting on for too long that you've got to give it a go. You're like, hey, we've got nothing to lose. Let's do this. Let's break out of here. Let's try something different. Let's, let's do something with our time. Let's do something with our resources. Let's, let's, let's break this, this old wineskin, if you like, or break this old piece of pottery and generate something new here. That is how you get old. That's how you get old. Do you like that idea? It's better than just sitting in your rocking chair, giving up one good push and then slowly stops yeah you don't like that do you Zechariah has given us a great example of what God can and will continue to do in our lives and it doesn't matter how old you are now this is the way God operates so I just want to put it out there today and say look allow God to conceive something in your life that may you may be prepared to blow your mind about what it is that he wants to do because he certainly blew uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's mind, I can tell you that. Why don't we stand for prayer? Father, we, we stand always in awe of how it is that you take what seems to be everyday people, and you're so moved to take everyday people and do the extraordinary with them. And, and that's who we are, Lord. We're, we're everyday folks. And yet we serve an extraordinary God. For some people, Lord, here they just love to be in that place where they can look at life and look forward and be without fear. Fear of the future. At the end of the day, Lord, it's all in your hands. It's all owned by you. It all returns to you. And in the same way, Lord, give us the faith and the courage to be able to look at generations coming in behind us and be blessed and be humbled enough to say, hey, this young woman, this young man, I can see that they're gonna speak into my life in some way. They're going to encourage me. They're gonna give me something I don't have. Lord, allow us to be able to be the people of God who, who look beyond the physical age, but see what it is that you're doing in people's lives. Oh God. That's such a gift we can give to each other. So Father, we, we thank you for this, um, this story about Zechariah. We thank you that you focus so much of your time and your word on his life because he's one of those everyday people who you turned into an extraordinary account of your your goodness. So we, we stand in awe of you. And as we move towards Christmas, Lord, may we just be continuously reminded uh, of what it is that you've done and how it is that you got there. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to do something a little bit different as we finish with this final song here. Um, chances are you might have come with someone you know. Chances are you might be here with your spouse um, or a really close friend. But during this final song, why don't you just put your heads together, literally, and pray. God, God, would you conceive in us something something new something that we haven't seen before something that you've prepared for us something that is going to blow our mind God open the eyes of our understanding to what it is that you would do that would shake us up and allow us to be put in a place where we can be seeing you with fresh eyes experiencing you in fresh ways as we saw Zechariah and Elizabeth no doubt will you do that? it's not a biggie it's no big deal maybe with a a friend just get friendly no big risk no big deal you don't have to but if it works for you that's cool okay thanks